I've always felt so accepted in the diabetes community that that was really just kind of heartbreaking to see, actually, and very disappointing. So I was searching things like black diabetes, women of color diabetes. So, yeah, it's just a shame that obviously that diversity isn't really reflected on some of the bigger platforms. Just because I'm a person of color is I mean, I'm not an expert in diversity and inclusion, but I will tell you, it does not feel good to be called on when it seems like this is now a hashtag. Especially as someone who's the founder of of an organization that means to support women and children with diabetes outside of diabetes and their career choices and their lifestyle and in who they are as a person, your race is included in that. Oh, hi. Thanks so much for tuning in. I'm Walt Drennan, and you're listening to Ask Me About My Type 1, the Q&A podcast all about type 1 diabetes. Hey, type 1s and nuns. Welcome back for part three of the Ask Me About My Type 1 season three finale special series. So like I said at the end of the part two, this episode is where Lexi, Lauren, Kiana, and Antoinette shared their thoughts and feelings about recent events with JDRF and some of their followers. For those of you who may not be aware of what occurred, here's a brief recap. On Friday, June 19th, now remember that date because it will be coming up later, JDRF, in an attempt to address their own admitted lack of racial diversity on social media, featured three black type 1 women, Anita, Kyleen, and Kiva, on the JDRF Instagram page along with their accounts of living with type 1 as black women. And while comments on the feature were mostly positive and agreed with the need to be better about recognizing the diversity of the type 1 community, There were those who disagreed and chose to make their disagreements known. Ignorant, hateful, and racist comments were made, and while many in the community stood up for the three featured women, JDRF itself didn't respond to any of the comments being made on their own page. Not only were these comments not addressed in real time, they stayed up without any response from JDRF for the rest of that weekend. The following Monday, however, JDRF's president and CEO, Dr. Aaron Kowalski, publicly apologized to the Type 1 community for the hateful and bigoted comments that were made on their page, in addition to having the posts removed. And it is in the wake of these events that the following conversations I had with Lexi, Lauren, Kiana, and Antoinette took place. But before I start, I do want it to be very clear. This episode isn't about the five of us ragging on JDRF or trying to prove to all of you how terrible they are. Our conversations are about what JDRF did and didn't do, yes, but what we're really talking about here are the much broader and underlying racial disparities within the Type 1 experience. Disparities that we as a community made up of individuals affected by Type 1 and organizations working to improve the lives of Type 1s haven't been addressing fully and are only just beginning to acknowledge, let alone understand. The issues being brought up here weren't created by JDRF or what happened on Instagram. They are way bigger than just this one organization, and I think these conversations will help give us all some much-needed insight. First up is Lexi Peterson of the Sugarless Society. Have you noticed, so like we're talking about like the you know, the great sides of social media, have you noticed any like more negative or like toxic parts of it? I don't feel like social media is like necessarily bad or necessarily good, it's just how you use it. Right. Have you noticed any negative aspects of it that you would like to change or maybe possibly change or anything like that? I will say here recently, uh, JDRF 
HQ highlighted three African-American women and their experiences with type 1 diabetes. And there was a lot of like negative responses in the comments. And it was really eye-opening because I think I've only had maybe two who are what I would call trolls, <laughs> you know, that just come online or just mean for no reason. Other than that, I really haven't experienced it, but it really just opened my eyes to the diabetes community because I've always thought, and this might sound crazy, but like, especially as far as racism and prejudice, discrimination, and just being flat out mean, all that, you wouldn't really think that we would be that way to each other because we all live with the same diagnosis, you know? So I don't know. I just, I've always thought, I've always felt so accepted in the diabetes community that that was really just kind of heartbreaking to see actually and very disappointing. And I mean, I even saw some of the people that I follow or that follow me that, you know, were saying mean things. So that part was very interesting. And that's something that I, you know, I'm happy that JDRF finally stood up <laughs> and said something and spoke on it, but it took them a while to do that. And so um, I think another thing that kind of bothers me is, like you said, people tend to only post the highlights. And, you know, it can be one of those things where somebody sees or seeing your highlights thinking that that's your actual life and that you never have problems with your diabetes. And maybe they start to feel inadequate or feel like they're doing something wrong. I kind of started catching the JDRF scandal, I guess, that they're in right now. I haven't really liked JDRF for a while now, so I don't really follow them. But now what they're going through, it did seem really disheartening and disappointing because they're kind of the face of type one right. as as we know it. And there's there really aren't that many organizations out there that represent type one. And this is the big one, like the yeah. the Juvenile Diabetes Research Foundation. Yeah. They're the the name of the condition is in their, you know. It's in their type. name. Yeah. yeah. And they're <laughs> dropping the ball so hard. Is that something that you had noticed before this, or is like this like the first time that they're not doing something or they they could be doing something way better or they could be doing way better? So to be totally honest and transparent, <laughs> I have not always been a huge fan of JDRF either. When I was a little bit younger, because that was like the only thing that I knew, you know, to go to the only resource that I knew of, that's, that was like my holy grail. Then as I started getting older and, you know, really just started paying attention to okay, how far are we really getting in research? How much money are we really donating? You know, like you start kind of doing those calculations and some of it is, it just doesn't really make sense to me. But aside from that, the organization and what they are supposed to stand for, I have no qualms with. Yeah, exactly. Like the idea of finding a cure to cure juvenile diabetes. Uh, now it's just type one because it's not just in juveniles anymore. Right. But yeah, like you, I didn't really like kind of how they were doing going about it for me the big thing was after the 18 mark like you're kind of on your own like they'll call yeah. you up if they want to get a donation but like after that there's not a whole lot of like adult oriented uh, support and like networking exactly. opportunities like that there are and it really depends on the chapter so it's not really like a jdrf like thing right. but there isn't that much of a focus on it and again like this past weekend it kind of shows like how they're they're failing the community itself. Like we are a very diverse community. Like type one does not discriminate. It affects right. everybody and it can affect anybody at any time. And so exactly. being able to represent that and show that 
as people, as these new people get diagnosed every day, they need to find somewhere that they can see themselves in and understand that their experiences aren't as like isolating as they might feel they are. I will say though, the JDRF chapter in San Antonio was actually really amazing. They hosted an annual, they didn't call it a conference, I don't think, but basically it was totally free to the public and you just come, they have little workshops. And I mean, we actually, my husband and I learned a lot of stuff there. And so that's like the one chapter that gives me hope because they seem to actually care about, you know, us, the people and really educating. I mean, it was mostly adults. There were some parents of T1Ds there, but it was mostly adults. So that was really nice to see. Cause like you said, once you pass 18, it's like they throw you to the wolves and it's just kind of figure it out. You're just another number, another statistic. So. Yeah. It's a lifelong condition. And as we change our type one changes with us too. So like, like you're mm-hmm. saying, like those big life events, like someone that gets married, like there's a lot of stress involved with that, learning how to live with a new person and then yeah. them also getting used to your type one. There's lots of transitions that everybody goes through and it, it would be nice to have, you know, an overarching organization kind of like JDRF that would acknowledge those things and like give you resources right. to do to, you know, at least navigate those things a little bit easier. But yeah, that's again, yeah, something that I wish they would do better. And it seems like a lot of people believe that. So yeah, yeah, I don't know where to go with that, but it's something that's being at least hopefully addressed and they're, hopefully they're listening to all the yeah the critiques and stuff like that. Because again, they can change. It's just a matter of them wanting to, I guess. Exactly. Talking with Lexi made me think about the conflicted feelings I've had about JDRF and organizations like it. Like I said, I haven't been a JDRF fan for a while now, being an adult living with type 1. I don't donate, I don't sign up for walks, I don't go to summits. And even though I've felt this way for years, it's still an uncomfortable feeling speaking out against them. I mean, it's JDRF. They want to cure babies with type 1. How can anyone talk shit on a group like that, right? But it's this untouchableness that JDRF and large organizations like them can sometimes attain that is the problem. Organizations that have woven themselves into the very identity of the Type 1 community so fully that they've moved beyond criticism. Support for them, no matter what or how they do things, is often assumed to be automatic. I mean, what kind of monster doesn't want to make sure babies don't get Type 1? And I'll be the first to admit, a lot of this trust and support that JDRF has gained is earned. JDRF has been around for decades, and they, along with organizations like them, have raised countless millions for the Type 1 cause, and I'm sure have given many families with Type 1 children a lot of hope during a very scary and uncertain time in their lives. Lexi even mentioned how supportive her local JDRF chapter in Texas was for her. But the support that JDRF provides isn't given out equally across the Type 1 community, unintentional as it may be. Minority groups within the Type 1 community are grossly underrepresented and underserved, and addressing these issues is so much harder when organizational leadership isn't being held accountable. For a very clear example of the true-life consequences of underrepresentation in the Type 1 community, here's my conversation with Lauren. Can you think of the hashtag, the specific hashtags for people looking for that or interested in looking for that? Yep, so I was searching things like Black Diabetes, Women of Color Diabetes... But yeah, it was interesting all the pages that kind of come up that aren't promoted and, you know, with a bit of searching, I think you can kind of find anything on the internet, which is fantastic. So yeah, it's just a shame that obviously that diversity isn't really reflected on some of the bigger platforms, um, which I think some agencies have been trying to address recently with some kind of mixed success, I would say. (laughs) That's a a good segue, I guess. All these interviews that I'm having are in the wake 
of, you know, JDRF's big attempt, you know, in quotes, to like, to amplify black type one voices. And they, you know, they made their attempt. They did it and they tried. Uh, Didn't work out very well. So what is your understanding of that? Like, so how did you see that from the UK? Like, what did that feel like? I think in the wake of the kind of Black Lives Matter movement, a lot of you know, not just the diabetes communities, but a lot of brands, a lot of businesses that haven't kind of amplified these voices in the past are trying to now. Um, it feels a little late for everything to be happening, but it's the kind of thing that needs to happen going forwards. I think what just let them down a little bit was the fact that they didn't know how to respond to some of the kind of racial gaslighting that was going on in the comments and outright racist comments that were being made and it just felt a little bit like they were stumbling in the dark like number one shocked that those kind of comments happen which as a person of color online speaking about diabetes I don't think anyone I don't think those people individuals were shocked it's the kind of thing that I've seen a lot of in the online spaces but yeah, it's just such a shame that, you know, something so simple as coming out and saying, you know, those comments are wrong. We don't stand by those comments. It just took such a long time for them to address. Um, so yeah, it's disappointing. And also just, I don't know how willing people are going to be to come forward and tell their story after an experience like that, knowing that these agencies kind of won't have their back or, you know, they might the first second third people to kind of go up in these spaces as a person of color and they still won't be supported but yeah they I know they did come out with an apology a little while later and kind of took down the comments and stuff so hopefully that can be a lesson kind of going forwards it hasn't been mentioned but that you're right there is like a chilling effect it makes people that did have those similar stories or stories that haven't been heard that should be heard and it makes them reluctant to tell them because JDRF just didn't even think of the idea of some of their members just not agreeing with that stance mm-hmm. and being very vocal about it. Black people with type 1 aren't new. It's not like a new thing. They didn't just appear in the last month. This is something that's been going on. Like you said, when you were trying to find, like you were reaching out to people, you didn't see anybody that looked like you. Because again, there's a lot of focus on how type 1 affects us, but our lives can also affect how we are able to type one or how we are able to manage our type one. So like you were saying, doctors are kind of dismissive of your ideas or your inquiries into different management styles because they don't think like, again, I don't even know where that comes from. Like, why do they think that? What's what's the idea behind it? Why, why wouldn't one person be able to do better with a CGM than another? But, you know, it exists and it's stuff that organizations like JDRF should be bringing light to because again, that's kind of their deal like they're the face of type one research and cure effort yeah that's a big thing but like we live with it now and we need people helping us deal with that and like the ramifications of that especially in society the way i kind of feel about it now is i feel like i've missed out on seven years of getting support from the online community all because i didn't see myself reflected i didn't think it was something that people like me kind of got involved with I didn't think I'd be able to connect on that level. And I see now that that was really silly because I've only denied myself um, having access. I can only think that other people felt the exact same way. And so I do think it the onus is on agencies like JDRF to really step up the game and get these communities involved because, you know, it's for, for all diabetics. It's not for a certain diabetic, which is the one that we see 
on the posters of all these events and on these web pages. <laughs> and also, I think it's so. I think it's so important to see people like yourself succeeding with diabetes. And I don't think I'd ever really seen that before kind of searching out various people online. I think that in itself just gives you so much encouragement that, you know, I can keep pushing my doctor to get what I need or I can try that a little bit harder because I can see so-and-so is doing so well at it. You know, it is possible. I think until you see something, sometimes it can feel a little impossible to achieve things. So, yeah, I don't think anyone should be denied that. You know, all the different ways that we're diverse should be reflected on the diabetes online community. Yeah, that of course. Yeah, if you can see it, you can be it kind of thing. It's a quote um, that I've heard a while ago, but it makes so much sense. Like, it's so much easier to feel like you belong when you can see other people like you going through these experiences or having these experiences. Like, you can definitely go out and tell your story, but that's hard to do, especially when you, we have lives to live and we also have type 1 to deal with. So, like, having all that piled up on us when there's an organization that, you know, is supposed to be out there talking to people about type 1, telling them what it's about. Um, you know, raising all this money for a cure, but not addressing the very clear, you know, like roadblocks and obstacles that we as people living with type one deal with on a daily basis. And then some demographics within the type one community more than others, you know, like black people, like indigenous people, like people of color, brown people. And again, it is a shame because like it's reflective in the healthcare outcomes, like here in the States, you know, and you see it now because it's a very, you know, big topic. Like, A1Cs for black people are two to three points higher. And then over the long long term, just based on that, you know, one number, it can really set you on a course that is not optimal or is not going to let you live the life that you deserve to live. It's shocking because when I read facts like that and when you do the research, you realize that these little experiences that you might have, that someone, another person of color might have that you think are anomalies, you realise they really are, they're real. And no matter how many people come online and say, it's not happening, that was just your individual experience, that wasn't anything to do with your race, it's real, it's being researched, the facts are out there for anyone to kind of research and find out about. And it's having a very real effect on our life expectancies, as well as other things, but our life expectancies, which is... um, it's a crazy fact. <laughs> yeah, it's odd that these numbers aren't coming from the type one organizations that are here to help us out. It'd be nice for these organizations, these big organizations, finding these things out beforehand and then making steps to address them. So you said that you were new to the online community and finding people and connecting with people. Are yeah. you connecting more with Americans? Are there people in the UK that you've been able to maybe meet in person or not in person, obviously, because you shouldn't be doing that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> right. But uh, who are you? Do you find yourself connecting with now? And who do you hope to be able to find in the future once we are able to go outside? Loads of people from the US, lots of people from the UK, also other European countries. What's really interesting is just seeing the differences in how diabetes is run in the different countries, what technology is popular. You know, I think in the US, you've got such a big uptake of pump users and CGM users that doesn't really happen in a lot of European countries and in the UK. So it's, it's been really interesting seeing that difference. And also just seeing that there's all kinds of people succeeding. There are people succeeding with all that technology. There are people succeeding with, you know, the very basics of insulin injections. 
So I think that's been quite, yeah, quite enjoyable to kind of see and to experience and connect with those people. And then what is your current management style? Like, what are you doing now? So I'm multiple daily injections um, and I'm on Nova Rapid and Lantus long acting insulin. And I don't have CGM, but I'm really keen to get some. So. <laughs> yeah, it does. I only recently started using it. I have a Dexcom. Uh, started in November of last year, and that's, you know, 19 years in. But yeah, so again, like this, yeah, the States is kind of weird. Our healthcare system is not, you know, optimal by any means, but we do have the technologies. And, you know, if you're, if you can pay for it, you can definitely get it. But that's still very uncommon within the greater group. Are there any like common themes that you've been hearing from people in the UK surrounding their like diabetes care management? Did you hear any similar stories that you've had, like people being kind of dismissed and saying like, oh, yeah, you're worried about this, but you don't have to be or you shouldn't be like this is just normal for you. People are definitely sharing tips on how to go about getting CGM, which is something I didn't think was going to be possible, but sharing, you know, what's a little bit hidden unless you do your research online as to what the criteria are for it. Um, all the things that I wasn't really finding out from my diabetes team, these people are sharing all these amazing tips and criteria that you need to meet. In terms of common themes, well, I suppose from the UK, it's been really nice to see people that maybe aren't using pumps are on the multiple daily injections still succeeding. And just to know that that is possible and what that looks like and that when I feel like I'm testing a lot, actually, no, that's needed. <laughs> so, yeah, that's been quite good to, to see from other people from the UK. Because I think also what you see online probably isn't representative of what's going on in the wider world all the time. I think just because we're seeing these pumps everywhere online doesn't mean that everyone has access to them so yeah it does seem like if you were to go on instagram and type in type one you'd think oh my god like 90 percent of us have type or have pumps and cgms and it's it's very that those are the pictures that you see like i think the majority of type ones in the u.s at least are on multiple daily injections or syringes even sometimes and it does have a lot to do with our ability to pay for it and yeah it Social media is great. It does connect people and allows you to see experiences that you wouldn't see otherwise. But it, it is a very skewed like view of the type one world. Other experiences need to be shown a lot more. Um, mm. And it's about, you know, figuring out ways to do that better or making them feel more welcome within these spaces. Because if you're if you're on multiple daily injections and you don't realize that you might think that you're the weird one out because everybody else has a pump online. Exactly. And I suppose a lot of the a lot of pump users are, you know, going through these great posts where they're really showing their pumps off and technology off with pride. Or, you know, maybe they're getting used to the fact that, you know, I moved my pump from somewhere that was not visible to somewhere that was visible. Whereas that's, if someone can't afford that technology on the insurance that they're on, then, you know, that's a concern that they will never have. And maybe they've got different concerns. So I think, yeah, it's really important that we're all kind of represented. Lauren's story, while shocking, isn't really all that surprising. Health outcomes for black type 1s are just worse in the U.S. Black young adults with type 1 have A1Cs that are, on average, two points higher than their white counterparts. Black children are two times more likely to die from type 1 diabetes complications than their white peers, despite type 1 being more prevalent in white children. And as Lauren explained, type 1s are far less often encouraged to explore type 1 management technologies like CGMs and pumps 
than their white counterparts. The numbers are very clear. But why haven't we been hearing about these numbers, particularly from the Type 1 organizations who task themselves with making the lives of Type 1s better? Because the numbers aren't new. Racial disparities in medicine have been known and discussed and rediscussed for years now. And no, I don't think that JDRAF or any other Type 1 organization is to blame for the differences in health outcomes across different races. But the truth of the matter is that racial discrimination in medicine goes far deeper than any Type 1 nonprofit or even the medical profession itself. So I think the real question we should all be asking is, what have Type 1 organizations been doing to address these disparities in the Type 1 experience? Here's my conversation with Kiana for more on the bigger problem at hand. Uh, yeah, so those are all my questions. Do you, is there anything okay. that you'd like to uh, say or anything that you weren't able to say? Did you want to talk about JDRF or do you want to? Oh, boy, JDRF. You know, uh, one thing I will say about JDRF, the first walk I ever went on when I decided to, to add something to the diabetes space and share my story, I saw that there was a, a walk in my nearby uh, neighborhood for kids. And I thought, you know, I'd, I've never done anything like that. You know, let me, let me do that. So I went and I was really proud because for me, I felt, you know, here I am with a group of people who, who get it. And that felt like the support, you know, the beginning of like the support I needed. So, but as far as uh, JDRF itself, I never, being that I was an adult with diabetes and I felt like they 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 more so cater to youth and um, you know children. It was never an organization that I I felt a connection to, and you know as of late, just seeing what's going on on the internet. And one thing I will say, you know, I was they reached out to me to share my story because they wanted to share Black voices, and that's that's what the email said. You know, you know, we're reaching out to you because we want to amplify black voices and we want you to share your story and we'd like to feature you on our page. I got the email a little too late and I will be honest, I'm happy that I did. Like I got, first I got a DM, <laughs> you know, in hindsight, I'm just like, woo, don't want to be in that drama. But you know, I did feel some kind of way that when I was reached out to, it was a couple of days before June 19th and what they wanted to do was amplify voices on that day. So I, to be honest, I'm really kind of tired of uh, you. Should, and this is coming from someone of color. Like I'm a, I'm black and Puerto Rican, but I, not that I'm tired of fighting for equality, but just this ongoing conversation with people who are, I don't know, clueless, <laughs> just so clueless. And, and I try to have, I try to have empathy for the cluelessness, you know, and um, and I, I'm a person. Once again, I'm I'm not controversial. I actually I avoid drama. That's how I started off this comment. Was like I try to stay out of the drama. But like I said, they reached out to me, and I felt some kind of way because of the timing of it all. And you know, black people aren't anything new. This we're not a hashtag or a trend or, you know, I, I want to say. It's, it's just the way that people go about it are just, it's just wrong. And I don't, I don't know if they're taking the time out to, to really dissect the, their, their goal. Yeah. Just kind of like what you're saying. They're, they're trying to engage you on a topic that you've, you know, lived your entire life as if it's something new. Like 
it's very they're very unaware of it's you know jdrf they should have known this by now and especially the issues that black indigenous people of color uh, deal with as type ones like navigating the world not getting as much or as good uh, health uh, care, like being kind of disregarded with their pain and their illnesses kind of thing. And that's just kind of a general comment on medicine as a whole, like in our country and, and probably most countries too. Uh, I can see how that's really frustrating. And getting that email from them conveniently before Juneteenth or June 19th, I think now it's just really obvious how lacking they are helping the people that actually need it. And also just uh, you know, I, I don't like to say this. I don't, because I'm very careful with my, my words, because I don't want to assume, you know, there, some of these organizations, like they make a lot of money. And then when we pull, you know, if we were to do an audit and really see where all this money's going, you know, I'm not naming any names, but there's, you know, the organ, some of these really, really big organizations, they make a lot of money. And, what recently happened with them asking, uh, reaching out to people in the online community who are black uh, to feature them on their page. And I think that's, that's just kind of putting up, let me just put up this picture because it makes us look this way. And it's not just about black people and putting up a poster about like, oh, this I think is what people want to see, but you're doing that in other ways too. So now maybe, you know, we're going to start to think twice about wanting to support what you say is your cause because you're not stepping in when something like what happened with their recent feature <laughs> happens. I mean, I think they dealt with it poorly. I think that they didn't, they didn't stand in fast enough. And when your intent isn't, maybe it wasn't honest, their intent, because if it was, then I think they would have been able to stand up right away the way that they needed to. And they didn't. They were ill-equipped to because their goal wasn't really to amplify black voices. It was just to put up a poster of something that seems cool right now. To have like to have people <laughs> see them amplify black voices, not so much the it's yeah. not really, it wasn't really about the voices themselves. It was about their action, their acting of doing it. Right. And this and this is something that people are talking about all over the internet. It's you're doing this now because, you know, it's a big topic, obviously. And it's something that should be discussed. But like, what are you doing about it? It's not it's more there's more to it than just, you know, putting a couple pictures on Instagram and, you know, we we're listening kind of thing. Like, what are you doing about their the concerns of the black type one community or the Latin community or indigenous community? Like they're there are issues in those communities that should be addressed and need to be addressed. And JDRF could very well address them or help to address them. But as of right now, it doesn't really seem like they're doing that. Just on Juneteenth. I mean, that's like saying, you know, we're going to pick, we're going to pick Christmas and we're going to amplify all the voices of everyone who was born on Christmas. I don't know. <laughs> it's, like, uh, it's a convenient uh, holiday, I guess, but like, what, what are you doing yeah. after that or before that? Or like, you know, next right. year. It, it's an ongoing thing. It's, you know, it's an ongoing thing. And you have to normalize it. First of all, have the conversation with your team and everyone on board of why it isn't normal, you know, and have that discussion. And then start to put things in place to normalize uh, having people of color on your site or helping people of color, you know, so not just conveniently on this particular day. So that was weird. I mean, I... Just because I'm a person of color is, I mean, I'm not an expert in diversity and inclusion, but I will tell you, it does not feel good 
to be called on when it seems like this is now a hashtag. And, oh yeah, we noticed you know, that you're you're black. Can you help us out here? Yeah. Yeah. You know. Yeah. No. And there's a way to go about it too. There is a way to go about it where you can say, "Hey, can you help us out because you're black?" And I'm clueless. <laughs> like. <laughs> Be honest about it. Don't be sketchy about it. Yeah. Share um, share your story, but don't tell us what we're doing wrong or don't tell us how we can do better. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it was really sad. I didn't, I mean, I I had commented when I saw, I don't know if you um, know Kylene. She goes by uh, Black Diabetic Girl. So I saw Kylene's feature on their site. I was so happy to see her. I love Kylene. Um, she's a super bold advocate in this space. And that's exactly what I wrote. I, I, I did. I commented. And then I started reading other comments. And I was appalled. I, was, I could not believe what I was reading. I said, is this, this, is this really happening right now? I was just so surprised. Yeah. And I, I only heard about the comments. I didn't see them because they took them down. I only heard about it this Monday is when they like, you know, came out with their apology and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But again, I was noticing in the comments, like these comments, the negative ones, the racist ones were taken down. So mm-hmm. kind of just basically absolving them of no, that they happened basically. And it, and for me, it had I not heard about it, it never did happen because I didn't see it. Right. And that's probably, you know, maybe part of the reason somewhat, why they did that. Yeah. <laughs> part of the reason why they did it, but it, it's too late. Once it hits the internet, I mean, screenshots, screenshot. yeah. <laughs> we so both said it. one, one button. Yeah. yeah. You can, it lasts forever. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so I, I wouldn't say, you know, their whole team is a wash because I'm pretty sure there was someone who said, hey, with good intentions, we should do this. And and I know that I don't feel that they expected it to go the way that it did. But I think it's something for them to look at, too. What kind of donors do we have? What kind of followers do we have here? Hmm. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> that they didn't even think that something like that could happen is kind could of happen. concerning. Yeah. yeah. And they're going to have to go back in and think about that and then think about their role in that. Um, you know, one of the signs that I, I keep that I kept seeing uh, during during the protest was silence is violence. Right. And, you know, hopefully they're having team meetings and talking about how they could have handled that better. You know, they did release a statement and, you know, the only way that things will get better is for them to actively make changes from within and also, you know, not not be silent. You basically have to tell the bullies <laughs> that, you know, that's not going to fly here. <laughs> right, yeah. Mm-hmm. But when you're nervous that your bullies are giving you money. And you're, you're nervous yeah. that you might lose them. That's you a concern. Yeah. yeah. So that's how I feel about that. And, yep, I dodged that bullet. <laughs> right. All right. And I... <laughs> I didn't even seemingly dodge it though. Like I was, I you wasn't even predict trying it. to. Yeah, you didn't predict, didn't predict any predict of this. It. Yeah. No, I didn't. I just kind of opened up my email and I'm like, "Oh, that was yesterday, and they wanted to feature me tomorrow." And so I remember getting back to the person who reached out to me, and I'm sorry. I said, "You know, anything else in the future? You know, p- you know, please reach out to me." I, I let them know. You know, um, my platform. You know, speaking platform is diabulimia. You know, let me know if I can help in any way. And that was that. But I do know this was before any of this happened, or it was on that day, actually, that night. 
I had said to myself, you know what? I'm kind of happy I wasn't featured because I don't want to be featured on Juneteenth. I mean, come on. No. Yeah. I just didn't, I just didn't feel good about that. Over the course of editing my conversation with Kiana, I heard myself mentioning the removal of the racist comments a lot. And while I brought it up as a point about how the covering up of interactions like these can make it harder to address the racial disparities within the Type 1 community because people can't see them, I then remembered what Kiana was saying. None of this is new. Do I or anyone else really need more examples of black people, Type 1 or otherwise, being racially discriminated against in the U.S.? Do I or anyone else really need more examples of black people, type 1 or otherwise, being racially discriminated against in the U.S.? The U.S. has a very deep and robust history of racial discrimination against multiple minority groups. Look up our history with black people, and Native American people, and Latin people, and Chinese people, and Japanese people. Also, remember that date I mentioned at the beginning of the episode? June 19th? Also known as Juneteenth, is meant to commemorate June 19th, 1865, and is also referred to as Emancipation Day. But it isn't actually the day that all enslaved peoples were freed, or even the day that slavery ended. It was the day when enslaved Texans found out that they had been free for over two years. When put into that context, no, I don't think I need another example of black type 1s being discriminated against. This isn't just happening in the type 1 community. Which brings us to my last conversation with Antoinette. CEO and founder of the Diabetic Organization. I mean, even as a, as a type 1 diabetic already, you feel like you don't belong in a lot of places. And so to go to your own community and, you know, a community that's supposed to be supporting you, a, a community that's been around for almost over 50 years, that's supposed to be your huge supportive community is allowing other people of that community to tell you that you're that you don't belong here. I mean, that's absurd. It's insane. It's, it's disgusting, which a lot of people are explaining uh, as, as the black diabetic community is really coming out and speaking out. And now we feel like we have no choice but to come together to speak up and, 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 and call out JDRF because especially as someone who's the founder of, of an organization that means to support women and children with diabetes outside of diabetes and their career choices and their lifestyle and in who they are as a person, your race is included in that. So in our organization, we accept you for who you are. That means whether you're black, white, Asian, you know, whatever you are, that is who you are. And then you are also type one diabetic. And we understand how it feels to be not included, to feel like you don't have a community, to feel like whether other people are telling you you are an outsider or not. Because even with, with, you know, normal people, like a lot of a lot, people who don't have type one diabetes will be like, well, we don't think it's weird. And we don't discriminate against you, but you don't know about us. You know nothing about us. And so that automatically makes us discriminated because, for example, um, Angelica, she is the founder of Healing Diabetic. Uh, I actually recently spoke about her story on my page, uh, how she went to celebrate her birthday at a nightclub and she was discriminated against for diabetes because the security guard was not aware of anything, did not know a thing about type 1 diabetes, told her to throw away her pen needles, to throw away her insulin, or she couldn't go into the club and celebrate her birthday. And you know, as someone, as a woman, as someone who wants, who likes to celebrate their, birth, their birthday and feel appreciated on a day that they were born, she, she decided to take a risk, take her insulin before she went in the club and leave all her stuff out and just so that she could enjoy a moment that all other people without diabetes get to enjoy. And so I'm connecting that story because 
even if JDRF does not mean to discriminate against black people because you don't know and because you are not informed on how the black experience of T1D is, you are automatically discriminating us because you have not reached out because you have not been choosing to inform yourself about our experience. So now we take a time like this where we're in a, where we're in a pandemic and race, ra racial inequality is a huge issue that's been a huge issue, but now it's coming to light because you have no choice but to sit home and watch it. Now you have to get on it. And now you're gonna take a fall in your, in your organization that's been around for years because you have now been called on your bluff because you haven't done the research because you haven't been there to support all communities of type one diabetes, whether you believe you're doing it or not. Representation brings information. I say that all the time. So when you represent the other people who are type one diabetic and black, you have no choice but to understand their story because now you have to speak to them, to promote them, to support them. You have to understand where they're coming from. So now you're supporting the black type one di diabetic community. And now we're explaining, we have issues with health professionals. We don't feel supported in, 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 in hospitals. We don't get that. We don't have the same experience as you. And so I think just as really, I, I'm still young, but I still, I do believe I'm very informed and I, I try to stay as informed as possible. I think for, for me in trying to understand JDRF and the black diabetic community, I think if they really want to fix this, if they truthfully support diabetes and they truthfully fight for an end of, of T1D in your, in your process of that, you need to fight to have healthcare professionals, you, you need to fight to have an audience that understands the disease in and out, the outside and the inside. And so in my opinion, I'm very happy that I'm not happy for the experiences. And I, I, I my heart goes out to a diabetic, black diabetic girl, and Anita Nicole Brown, because they really had to take a stand and take a hit for all of us. But I think it took this moment to come to light for people to start changing their behavior. Yeah, it's a good, It again, it's kind of a bittersweet, it's terrible that it happened, but I think now people can see how, how JDRF has really dropped the ball these decades that they've been around. Over the course of your 16 years that you, you've had type 1, what has your experience been with that? I remember because during our first interview, you mentioned that when you went to camp, you were the only black girl there. When was the first time you kind of realized that you weren't being represented in your type 1 community? I want to say probably around the age of 10 is probably, uh, you know, going into those preteen years um, where, where we, where we all of, of, of all races of all genders, we really start experiencing and understanding um, representation that that goes for body representation for male representation, female representation, you know, those questions. And so that's when I turned 10, I think that's the first time I really started asking my mom, you know, well, are, are black people do diagnosed with type 1 diabetes? Like, do black people have type 1 diabetes? You know, and a, a lot of people explain their experience. I know Courtney, she's 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 this cute little girl on Instagram. I'm not sure if you know who she is, but she ha has these TikToks and she's hilarious. <laughs> she, I have seen she, them, yeah. Yeah, her birthday actually just passed. Um, and so she's in her preteen years and she's where she's really, you can just see the development where she's starting to understand that the black diabetic community is not represented. Um, and so I think we all go through this period of time between, you know, whether you're diagnosed at birth or diagnosed at three or four or five or six, because you're young, you don't think too deep into it. But once you hit 10 and 13, 12, 11 in that age, you start to, you know, want to hide it and you start to see the difference. And so she actually made a TikTok where she was like, 
I went to diabetes camp last year and I was like, how the heck am I the only black girl here? Where are the black kids? And so it, it was hilarious to me because it was like, I remember that moment where I was at camp a y- one year and I was like, wait a minute, there is, there is no way I'm the only person here. <laughs> like, and you know, I, I'm the only person out of 300 people, you know, because uh, the camp that I go to specifically um, in um, Winona is a Florida diabetes camp in, um, yeah, in Orlando, Winona area. And so I was like, there's 300 kids here. You know, I can count 300 now. I, I know math. I'm the only kid here. And that's when you're like, okay, well, before I was feeling like the only type 1 diabetic, now I'm in a room full of type 1 diabetics. Now I'm the only black person. And so I think with the development of social media, I'm really um, happy that more younger women, young girls, um, and young boys, like my own sponsor, Micah, because um, he was telling he was actually one of the only black kids at type one um, at diabetes camp last summer too, where he felt kind of like alone in our, in our conversation. And so I think it's so great that we have social media now where you can see all these people talking and saying their experience and the same thing. So then you don't really feel like you're alone. Um, and, and, and now we can, we can physically see each other. Cause for me, you know, growing up in the early two thousands, Instagram was just developing. I think Instagram's like maybe 10 years old now. And so it came out when I was 10. So it's still developing and it's developed into this beautifully kind of destructive thing where you can see, you can see that you're represented, but you can also see that through, through your supportive community of the black community showing representation, you can also see where you're not represented. And I think it's an, it's just, it's different. It's, it's really something that's not explainable, you know, in, in some ways that you really could only just look at someone who, who is of the same minority as you and you just look at each other and you're like, I understand because it's a feeling. It's not really something you can speak on um, to feel underrepresented or to, to, to go through that moment where you felt like you were the only diabetic in the world that was black. And so you can, we can look at each other and be like, I feel you, but to speak it into words, it's really, for me, it's something hard because I can't explain that feeling. It just, it's just like a really alone feeling. Yeah, yeah. And going off of what you said, like that 13, 12 age range, that those are very formative years. And kind of like how you were saying, it's the time when kids try to start figuring out who they are, and they look to the people around them. And like you said, if you don't see people like you, it's hard to figure out where you where your place is in the world. And especially, you know, in our community, the type one community, that's especially true for, you know, minorities, black people, indigenous people, people of color, um, Latin people. Not only are you underrepresented in the general population, just like, you know, like type ones are, but even within our small community that, you know, you'd think that we all understand what it is to be type one. There's a very significant portion of it. And even like the organizations that are meant to represent it and supposed to like inform the general public about it they're not getting it, that there are certain aspects of our lives that affect our type one. Type one doesn't just affect our lives. Our lives can affect type one and how we're treated with it and how we're, you know, in the medical profession, how they see us and how they deem to manage it for us. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's another question I had. So the lot of, at least now, you know, a lot of the studies are coming out that like type one, black type ones have 
worse health outcomes, despite being a smaller portion of the type one community, their outcomes are a lot worse than their, you know, white counterparts. A1Cs are two to three points higher, like children that are pre-type pre 1 diagnosis end up dying more often because of misdiagnosis or just like their, mm-hmm. their diagnoses are not caught in time. And, th- and that information is coming out from, you know, reputable sources and like it's true. Do you recall like maybe the first time you read that or like what that felt like reading it, like, you know, seeing it in black and white, like, oh, this is true. Like, was there, um, what was that? If you can recall that, like, what did that feel like? I think it's just to a point now where it's so it's happening. We're, you're finding so much information about about how the black community of type one diabetics and, and health in general the, for the black community is affected that it's just really not even that it's painful anymore. I think we're used to it. I think it's just really annoying. Um, and so to read that, you know, the outcomes and the health of consequences of those who are black with type one diabetes to see that it's like, well, is it us or is it how we're being treated as black type one diabetics? Is it how the healthcare system sees us? Is it a sole issue for us as what we're doing or is it how we're being informed? Is it how we're being treated? Is it how we're being egged on? Um, Cause I really think that a lot of diabetics suffer in their, in their health with, type 1 diabetes, especially as going through those ages that we were just talking about, 10, 11, 12, and 13, where you start to make a decision on whether you you may go through a rebellious stage with type 1 diabetes or not. And that rebellious stage of type 1 diabetes is a huge stage that a lot of people don't talk about because that's the time when your A1C may hit its highest that it's ever been, where it may, where you may have gone through DKA three, four, five times, where you you know, wake up in the middle of the night to pee over and over again, you're not getting sleep, you're going low because you are not feeling supported and you do not want to any longer deal with that disease. I'm not saying that everyone goes through that through that stage, but I haven't talked to a type one diabetic myself that has not been through a rebellious stage. Even 17 and 18 year olds who are who are diagnosed with it, they go through a rebellious stage. It's like you go through those first two years where you're like, okay, I got this. I'm going to get it. It's a change in my life. And I feel inspired. Um, and then you go through that stage where you're, where you, where you really just sick of it. You're annoyed. And so I think importance for, for a black diabetic community is when you go to your doctor and thankfully, so my doctor has, has really been hands-on understanding with me and, you know, making sure that I'm informed on what to eat because even in the simple fact that type one diabetes is not very well known in the black community, even though we are so greatly affected, Dr. Lynn made sure that my parents got outlets because it, it starts with the parents. The parents have to make sure the kid's okay. And then, you know, the environment around the child because any black diabetic is going to be in a black community. And so it is important that her community is informed. And so it really just starts with the point at the top where healthcare professionals really need to make it their business to inform everyone, everyone of any health issue that can be that 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 humans can be affected with, because type one diabetes is not one sided. It's not white people are not the only people affected with type one diabetes. This is not your cause. This is our cause. It's our issue. It's our pain, and we are stronger together. And it's that representation is is so important. Yeah, those studies were, you know, obviously troubling because, but at, but at the same time, not like, you know, it's like, well, yeah, duh. Like, you know, 
black people get treated differently. But I think the, for me at least, the most like disconcerting part of it was that it's not coming from the JDRF or the American Diabetes Association. Like these, mm-hmm. these places that are supposed to be like, they should be keeping an eye on these kinds of things. Like, you know, people with type yeah. one, how are they being affected? And, you know, break it down by race or gender or by age, but like, they're not the ones coming out with this information. Mm-hmm. And so like, why is that? Why aren't you looking into these causes or why aren't you looking into the differences in how people are diagnosed and how they're treated and like the health outcomes as a result of that? Because those are the people that the doctors listen to. So it's like this very unproductive or uh, counterintuitive cycle that just keeps on feeding into itself. Mm-hmm. And I think this is just an, another opportunity for, for JDRF to like get its act together. And it's, I don't know, what are you are you hopeful for the future? Like, what do you see like happening in the next few months or what would you like to see happening? I'm extremely hopeful. Uh, I'm actually very happy to see so many people come out and speak up on the fact that they're type one diabetic, uh, especially black people, because I I even found out that one of my, my friends, her sister is type one diabetic. And I'm like, I've known you my entire life and you've never said you're diabetic. And, and, you know, and speaking to her, she's like, well, I just, I don't know. She's like, I always see JDRF and I see other um, associations and organizations that support type 1 diabetes. But really just as a black woman herself, she didn't feel like it was cool. She's like, I don't really want to tell anybody. And, you know, when you ask her, why do you feel that way? It's because she doesn't see many of herself. And so the black community really coming out and speaking up on this and, and joining with other type one diabetics of other races who support us fully, who we, we are so thankful for. For example, Sophie Blake, who shouted out several black organizations and then matched donations, donating over a thousand dollars to black organizations and influencers of type one diabetes. I mean, that's amazing. And that, you know, brought light to other organizations that I did not know about that were black, that I could possibly collaborate and work with. So I think it's a, it's a huge jump start for um, a change in the type one diabetic community. And, you know, really a fight because basically what this is, is, is systematic racism. And so now we're, we're in the process of ending it, especially for the, the type one diabetic community. You know, we, we, we are, because we are a minority, we have a higher rate of poverty and low income. And so that affects how we afford insulin and how we afford medication. Um, and so as the JDRF community is actively fighting for insulin to be affordable for everyone, this really means everyone, because now you see that we are dying and we are hurting from not being able to afford this insulin and not being able to come out and speak out and tell people that we're type one diabetic because we don't feel supported by you. And so I think this is great. I'm so happy for what's about to come. I think it's a huge jump start. I don't know what is coming because I cannot tell the future, wish I could, but definitely see a lot of great things coming about. And I'm, I'm super excited. I, I do have hope in the crumble of things, I definitely believe that stuff has to be broken down to build up. And I think this was a huge breakdown, extremely painful, but it's going to, it's going to build something so beautiful. And I'm so excited. Yeah, that is true. Cause again, I feel like JDRF also had that kind of like that shield or protection from people. It's like, Oh no, but they're trying to cure type one and kids like, you know, of course they're good. And, but I think kind of like how you and I felt about it over the course of our type one lives. It's like, they're not, they could do they could be doing better but you can't talk about that because you know it's jdrf like but i think now that people have seen you know how they react and how they act in like certain situations that deserve to be talked about 
it's a it's a great point for, for people to realize that they're not perfect and there are things that they lack in and that there are other groups that are trying to account for that or ways to influence JDRF to do better or be better. So yeah, like you said, this is it, it's sad that it ha- had to happen, but it's also really excited that it did happen because a lot of change is going to come from this. And it's making people, the type one community itself, aware of the populations within us that aren't getting noticed and that do actually have very different experiences with this condition because of their lives and how they are perceived by society. So yeah, that is, it is exciting. So I'm hopeful about it too. Anything else you want to add or anything you weren't able to mention? No, I think, well, I guess I could say something um, pretty blank and forward um, to anyone who is listening or who feels like we are attacking JDRF or we are uh, discrediting them of all the great work that they have done. That is not the case. But we are saying do better. We are not saying end. We are not saying stop. We are saying if you are going to be um, this large um, internationally um, representative and community of type 1 diabetes, then do better and you're supportive of everyone. And so that's pretty much all I have to say. overall is we love we still love jrf we still under we still uh, appreciate all the work that they've done but we are asking for better if you are going to stand for us stand for all of us and that's the episode again i want to reiterate that this isn't meant to insinuate that jdrf is somehow the source of all the racial discrimination and all the disparities amongst minorities within the type 1 community they aren't even the only type 1 organization that has an issue with diversity and full type 1 community representation either JDRF just happened to make a post that allowed the racism that already existed a chance to show itself. And if they hadn't, another organization probably would have, and we'd be here talking about them instead. Racist and hateful comments on an Instagram post aren't the problem. They're a symptom of much deeper issues that we, as the Type 1 community, should be working through together. Because now, we're at a point where we need to be holding all of our Type 1 organizations accountable for allowing themselves to perpetuate old mindsets. Mindsets that hurt Type 1 minority groups and devalue their experiences as members of the Type 1 community. Antoinette said it best, I think. Things must first be broken down before they can be built back up better and stronger than they were before. We're all currently in a transition phase where we can choose to build our Type 1 community back up better and stronger than it was before. Ultimately, I hope these conversations help us to acknowledge what we have and haven't been doing so that we can correct ourselves and move forward. And that's all for part three. Thank you so much for coming back. And if you'd like to learn more or follow Lexi, Lauren, Kiana, and Antoinette, you can find their social media pages in the show notes, as well as on the post for this very special episode on the Ask Me About My Type 1 Instagram page. Tune in on the 12th, that's this Sunday, for the fourth and final installment in the Ask Me About My Type 1 Season 3 Finale Special Series. It's the live recording of the workshop I did for Connected Emotion a few months back, where I talk about why I think it is so important for Type 1s to share their story with a few tips on figuring out how to do it. Thank you all again so much for tuning in. Bye.